It's my privilege to introduce to you a friend of mine, Craig Shigio. Craig is a uh, fellow pastor in Fresno. Craig is a Fresno native, been here his whole life. He did a 12-year stint in Oakhurst as a pastor and then moved back down, and he's been at Woodward Park now for a number of years. Uh, Craig has his master's from Southern Seminary, and he's getting his doctorate from Midwestern, I believe it is. And uh, Craig's a, a, a great friend. I appreciate Craig. Uh, I've mentioned a couple times how there's a, a group of pastors that I always feel like I can relate with. And uh, a month ago we met, and I was talking about something, and Craig said, have you read this book? And I said, I haven't read the book. So I bought the book, read the first couple chapters, and uh, another friend of mine was telling me something similar, and I said, have you read this book? And he said, no. So now uh, we're both reading the book, and it's nice to have people that can come alongside of us and say, I've been there, here's something that might help. So let's welcome Craig, and Craig, come on up. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Craig. And also, uh, Craig's wife, Amanda, thank you for letting us have Craig. It's, I know it's hard on you also because Craig is preparing for, we've got an expositor's workshop in two weeks. It's yeah. a three-day event, a Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yep. And so Amanda's giving him up for that, to prep for that, and also preaching and all the other responsibilities that I'm sure the church didn't say, well, just take a couple <laughs> weeks off and go do what you need to do. So thank you for being oh, here, and we appreciate you. That's our joy. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. It's, it's, a, it's a joy. Uh, I, I count Brandon as a friend. It's a, I'm thankful to the Lord for him. Uh, our, our, myself and Rick, who I, I pastor with, we regularly think of your church and Brandon and your ministry here. We rejoice at some of the ways that, the, that God is working here and, and for the gospel ministry here in Madeira. So we're thankful for you, and I, I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, would you open your Bibles to Psalm 136? This morning, we're going to be looking at God's Word in Psalm 136. And as you're turning there, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that, as we, that, that, that you have given us your Word, that as we, we can encounter you in your Word, that you are not a God who has left us in the middle of our trials and difficulties in life to speculate about who you might be and how we might know you, but you have revealed yourself through your word. You have preserved it so that we have in our hands your very words profitable for us this morning. Father, we pray that you would work in our minds to understand, that you would work in our hearts to delight in who you are as you've revealed yourself in your word and help in our lives to to be obedient to you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and the ideal picture, ideal picture of Thanksgiving is a wonderful picture, isn't it? Having, if you have all your family together, all your kids and grandkids in the same place, everyone getting along, theoretically, loving one another, maybe having this full spread of food, all those favorites that you count on each and every year, and people go around the table and sharing what they're thankful for and the blessings that they have, and people sharing about new jobs and promotions and fun stories from recent vacations and telling about their vibrant lives. And if that describes what you experienced in Thanksgiving this week, we rejoice with you as you're rejoicing. But that's not always the story of Thanksgiving. Often, 
the holidays mean the reminder of family drama and difficulties or money's a little short this year or those sometimes those awkward moments with non-Christian relatives or maybe there was no family that was able to make it this year. We're not sure how long people will be able to make it because of health problems or someone that's missing that you've experienced that loss over recent years. What if you don't have as many reasons to be thankful? Then can we still be thankful? Even if you had nothing for Thanksgiving, uh, if all those things that even whether you're a believer or not a believer, those general thanksgivings for food and family and friends, if those aren't there, can we still be thankful? Is there anything different about the thankfulness we have as followers of Jesus Christ? And that brings us to Psalm 136 this morning, where the psalmist writes over and over and over again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. When can we as believers declare this? When can we sing this? The psalmist says, always. Especially at those times when we don't feel like we have much to be thankful for. Now, there's some of the language in this psalm that there are suggestions that the psalmist wrote this after the Israelites returned from exile in Babylon. They're returning to Israel and they have no wealth as returning exiles. There's no crops prepared or sown ready for them. There's no yummy pumpkin pie that Thanksgiving. There's no freedom as they're living under the rule of the Persian Empire. And most importantly for the people of Israel, there would be no temple. That they're living in a land as, as if the very presence of God had abandoned them. And in the middle of all that nothingness, the psalmist says they can sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Why? How could they sing this? What did they see beyond the present lack that they had in their circumstances? Why were they able to be thankful? And how can that be true for us? Why should we thank God, especially at times when it doesn't look like we should have anything to be thankful for? The psalmist would encourage us, as we're going to look this morning, that instead of being so focused on the situation in front of us, the psalmist would say, look up, look back, and look forward. Let's look at that in the psalm this morning. First, let's look up the call to give thanks. Will you read verses one through three with me? Where the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the psalmist starts by saying, give thanks to the Lord. He's calling each and every one of us to give thanks. Not just having an attitude, some undefined attitude of thankfulness, but a very specific thankfulness that we should have. That's not based on our feelings at the moment or our situation that we have, or even based on mere duty, but thankfulness because of who the Lord is. See, when you struggle feeling thankful, like the exile readers 
of Israel might have. The psalmist would come alongside you and he would put his arm around your shoulder and he would point up and he would say, look at the blinding glory of who our God is. No circumstance can take that away from you. He he would whisper in your ear, do you see? He is the Lord. Notice that the Lord here is all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in verse one there. This is not just a general Lord or a general God. This is a very specific reference to a specific person. In the Old Testament, Lord in all capitals was the covenant name of God. Yahweh, or sometimes translated Jehovah. This is the personal name of the creator God who made a covenant with his people Israel saying that he will be their God and they will be his people. You see, so many times at Thanksgiving where we share our thankfulness for different things. And we maybe, we maybe should ask, to what or to whom are you thankful? See, often that's unclear, right? I'm thankful for these things. Who are you thankful to? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of thankful. Uh, maybe to the universe, right? And the psalmist is saying here that everything we have to be thankfulness is not to an impersonal universe, but to a personal God who revealed his goodness to us through the scriptures and his son, Jesus Christ. I am thankful because I know he is good. And because I have experienced and you have experienced his goodness personally. The the psalmist would, would tell you, he would say, listen, do you see he's not just Lord, he is Lord over all. He is the God over all gods, verse 2. He is the Lord over all lords, verse 3. Why should we give thanks that God is over our gods? Theologically, we might expect something like this. We might expect the psalmist to say, give thanks to the God of gods because he is omnipotent, all-powerful. Or he is omnisapient, he is all-wise. And other gods, they're not. Now that's theologically true. We see that in Isaiah 40, but that's not what he says. We might expect something in the Bible here to say, give thanks to the Lord of Lords because he is omniscient, all-knowing. And he is omnipresent, all-present. And other gods and lords, they are not. It's a true statement, but that's not what the psalmist says. We give thanks that he is over all, God of gods and Lord of lords, because of his steadfast love. Because he has a steadfast love that endures forever. His love displays his divine character that is different than every other religion or philosophy or worldview that we can encounter. In his love, God is all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing and all-present. Psalm 1 in 36 implies that God exercises all of his attributes in his steadfast love. God is an omni-loving God, all-loving God. That's how God acts. That's who he is. And we are the recipients of that steadfast love of this omni-loving God. Is that not a reason to be thankful? There's nothing that can happen on Thanksgiving that can take that away. So the psalmist would say, look up. 
thank God because of who he is, that you have a God whose steadfast love endures forever. And the psalmist would, would look at you this morning. If he were right here, he would look you in the eye and say, do you know that? Have you experienced that? Have you tasted and seen the love of the Lord? Does it not seem to you like right now that you have any reasons to be thankful? Do the holidays send you into despair or into anxiety? Is your life just feeling like you're just holding together the mess? Or, or maybe that you look at the reasons you're thankful for and you're just worried because you just, you're just worried that the things that you're so thankful for, they're going to get taken away from you. We, we so often have the spiritual tunnel vision that we can only see what is right in front of us. And that defines our attitude and our thankfulness. We're, we're in many ways like John, I think, at the beginning of the book of Revelation. At the beginning of Revelation, John is the last of the apostles. He's been exiled to Patmos. All the other apostles had been martyred. The churches are suffering or the churches are forgetting their first love. The churches he'd spent his life to point to the Savior, Jesus Christ. It looks like there's not much to rejoice about for John. It looks like there's not much for him to be thankful for. And the Lord in his love and in his grace gives John a vision of heaven in chapter four. And you know what the first thing John says he notices? He, the first thing he points out is not the pearly gates. It's not the streets of gold. The first thing that John sees in the middle of his suffering in this vision is a throne and one sitting on it. What John needed to see in the middle of his suffering is that the sovereign, loving Lord still sits on his throne. And that's what the psalmist wants to do for us. What, what God did for John is to give you a vision in the midst of wherever you're going through of that God is on his throne. And he, that is a reason to be thankful because of who he is and that he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. But we don't just have thankfulness from looking up, but also from looking back at what this God, our God has done. Look at verses four through nine for me, with me. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. To him, right? We give thanks to him. Who's the to him here? The one who created everything. The psalmist is asking, do you understand how great our God is? He, he's not just a great God. He's not just some God in general, some idea of God. He is the one true God, the creator of heavens and earth. He made the heavens and the great lights, the sun and the moon. He didn't make things. He didn't make light like we make light, right? We make light as we pull out our phone and we turn the flashlight app on, right? Or as you click the light switch or maybe the light bulb's out. So you do that extra. I, I, look, I made light. I screwed the light bulb in, Right? That's not how God made light. I remember, uh, as Brandon said, my wife and I, we lived up in Oakhurst for a while. And the main way that we heated our house was uh, through, through a fireplace. And so, you know, I'd go and I'd put the fire together and I'd get it all set and light it. And I'd go up to my wife. I feel very proud. I'm like, I made fire. 
I'm a husband, right? I'm all proud of myself. But if you think about it, I did not make fire, right? I mean, I put the log cabin together with the materials that were already there. I lit it with a lighter that I bought from Vaughn's, right? I, I did not create anything. God created light. He created the source of light. He spoke them into existence out of nothing. He said, let there be a light that has the power of 2880 trillion light bulbs. And there was. And we depend on that source of light and every source of light that he created. And by the laws of physics he created, that we receive that light as a reminder that he alone is the creator and that we are the created and we are dependent on him for the good creation that he created. He is the one who created. He is the one who spread the earth out of the waters. I'm guessing that most people here made their beds this morning. If you don't, that's okay. You got time this afternoon. But it, maybe you're rushing to get to church this morning and you just do one of these shots, right? You done that? You just go, one of those, boom, we're ready to go, right? That's the type, you just spread that blanket over the bed, that comforter out. That is the ease that the psalmist describes of how God created and spread out the tangible continents over the water. Can you picture it? Just, whew. that's the type of sovereign power God has. The psalmist wants us to be in awe. He wants us to be astonished by God's wonders of creation. But as one writer has said, only our familiarity with them, his works of creation, and our failure to ponder them keeps us from seeing them so. We see it all the time. You're going to walk outside today and you're going to see reminders of God's power and creation and we just become calloused to those. The psalmist is saying, don't be calloused. Be astonished once again at what our God has created. When you walk outside and you feel the warmth of the sun on your face. Or when it's summer and you feel the coolness of the, the night air cooling down your house. Be astonished at the creator. To delight in the way that your dog is loyal or your cat is wise. To look up tonight and see the stars and be amazed that he created all of them and calls each of them by name. The greatness of the creation points to the greatness of the creator. But don't miss this in the text. What explains God's creation? What is it that explains it? God created by his what in Psalm 136. It's not by his power and it's not by his wisdom. Those are, those are both true. Don't, I'm not saying that God's not all powerful, not all wise. That's just not what the psalmist is emphasizing here. It's not the focus. What is the attribute in Psalm 136 that explains God's creation? His love. His steadfast love. We thank God in when we see his creation for, because it is a constant reminder every day you get up and every night you go to bed that his steadfast love endures forever. Even more sure than the sun rising tomorrow morning is that his steadfast love endures forever. There will be one day where we will not experience any more sunrises. There will be a day when the dog will die. When 
we may live in the city and not seeing trees anymore. All that can change. But you know what never changes? His steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist is saying, don't get calloused. Taste and see that the Lord is good in his creation. See that as a reminder of his steadfast love. See the goodness of God in every sunrise. See the wisdom of God in every star-filled night. See the beauty of God in every bird song. See the mercy of God when your pet comforts you when you're sad. See the grace of God with every refreshing gift of rain on the earth. And let it remind you that his steadfast love endures forever. And and then the psalmist continues to to look at what the Lord has done. Look at verses 10 through 22. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. Who But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihong, the king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. What's going on in the passage here? What do these Old Testament stories, I remember those stories, right? From Sunday school, right? What what do those stories have to do with our thankfulness? I like what one commentator says. They say that the psalmist here is turning history into theology and theology into praise. Remember that the, the psalmist is primarily, his primary audience here was Israel. So the psalmist is talking to Israel and the psalmist is saying, Israel, don't you remember? Do you remember when you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord Yahweh delivered you from slavery? Do you remember the plagues, Israel, and the Red Sea and the defeat of Pharaoh and his army? How could you forget those things? You weren't any more righteous or noble than the Egyptians, but out of God's grace, Due to the promise he made to your father Abraham, he chose you and delivered you and saved you. Israel, this isn't just a story. Your history is God's visible proof of his love to you. The psalmist is saying, Israel, don't you remember how God led you through the wilderness and provided for all your needs? How he led you as a cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night? Do you remember, Israel, even when you complained and rebelled by grace, God preserved you until you made it to the promised land. How could you forget that God did that for you, Israel? This just isn't just a story. Your history, Israel, is a visible proof of his love for you. The psalmist would keep going. He's saying, Israel, don't you remember the land that God gave you as a heritage? By the way, the land that he brought you back to now, that you will reap the fruit of it and enjoy its blessings. It's a land that you didn't earn and you didn't deserve. But he graciously promised this inheritance to you, to your, prom- to your ancestor Abraham, and he's provided to you to keep his promise. The very land that you stand on today, he would say to Israel, is a very visible proof of his love for you. How could Israel have forgotten all that God had done in their history? How could they be anything but thankful with all of that? 
God saved them and provided for them and helped them to persevere. He gave them an inheritance that they didn't earn or deserve. There's so much proof of God's goodness and love. If they look at their history of God's deliverance and salvation, that should be the greatest motivation they had for worship and thankfulness. Why wouldn't they be thankful? And if the psalmist were here, and if he were talking to us from his passage that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, I think he would say the same things to us, wouldn't he? He would look at us and say, how couldn't you be more thankful? Christians, we were not slaves in Egypt, but do you not remember that you were born a slave to sin? Even those who basically feel like you were born in the church, memorized all those Bible verses. But what happened when you went home and you rebelled and declared war against God's representatives in your life, your parents? Your love for your parents showed your real heart for God. Or the way that we let our, we tried to dethrone God by replacing him with our idolatrous wants and desires, right? There are things that we wanted more than we wanted the glory of God in our lives. Shows us all that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And don't you remember that even though we had made ourselves self-declared enemies of God, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life in our place, a life that we could never live. We could never live up to that. And he died as a substitute to pay for our sins on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God as if he had committed all of our sin. And then God raised him victoriously to, to bring victory over sin and death, a victory that he offered to us, not that we'd earn or deserve, but purely by his grace to us, this gift of salvation. The psalmist would say, Christian, do you remember the Savior and the cross? in the empty tomb, they are visible proofs you have right now of God's love for you. And don't you remember, Christian, that he's promised to help you persevere through this pilgrimage in this world, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that yes, you are in this world, but you don't have to be of this world. Because your hope is not in the kingdoms of this world. It's hope is in the kingdom of God. Don't you remember that the already of salvation that you have experienced already in the forgiveness of your sin has a not yet fulfillment that God has promised that is coming in Christ's return? Don't you remember that you have been given an inheritance? Like Israel, there's nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing we did to deserve it. But in Christ, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, you have an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. How do I know I have it? Because he gave you already the guarantee of that inheritance. Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit, who is a visible reminder of God's salvation and work in your life. The psalmist would look at us and say, how could you have forgotten all God has done for you in your history? How could you be anything but thankful when God has saved you? Even though we deserve hell, he saved us. He helps us to persevere in this life. He promises, given us an inheritance that we didn't earn or deserve. We have so much proof 
of God's love for us. The very history of our salvation is a daily and hourly and minute by minute reminder of, it is our greatest reminder of his love for us. Now, if you're visiting this morning and you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're listening to this and saying, that's just not me. First of all, I want to say welcome. We are, on behalf of, of Grace Church Madera, we are glad that you have come and visiting this morning. And maybe there's times when you hear Christians talking like we are this morning, about talking about trusting God for our source of hope and our source of thanksgiving. You may think that Christians are kind of crazy because you're not even sure there is a God. But let me ask you, friend, what is your hope based on? If there is no God, then where's your hope? In fact, I think of someone like Richard Dawkins, who's a famous atheist, and he said this, that if there is no God, this is not from a Christian, this is from an atheist, he says, quote, there is no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pointless indifference. We are machines for propagating DNA, and DNA neither cares or knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music, unquote. If God doesn't exist, as another atheist has said, then you are a miscarriage of nature, thrust into a purposeless universe to live a purposeless life. Happy Thanksgiving. But if the Bible is true, then we have an objective and continual source of hope and thankfulness in the creator God whose steadfast love endures forever. So let me ask you, friend, if you're not sure about God and his existence, and if, if Jesus really is who, he, who the Bible claims him to be, do you struggle finding things in your life that's worthy of thanksgiving? Do these holidays expose the emptiness and loneliness that you try to ignore the rest of the year, but you feel it very keenly during the holiday season? Or maybe you have plenty to be thankful for, but you're always anxious because you have no guarantees that you can keep what you feel you need to make your life purpose, have purpose, that it won't disappear with the collapsing of the market or the passing of years and the growing in age. Where is the source, my friend, of your hope and love and purpose that you can have that can be certain no matter what circumstances you face? My friend, that is a gift that God offers. It's a gift of himself. That's the gift he would offer you this Thanksgiving. And it's a gift, which means it's not earned or deserved. It is purely by grace that God, the creator God, though we have rebelled against him in our sin, as we have not worshiped him or given him thanks as he rightly deserves. In his steadfast love that endures forever, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins in our place and rose him from the dead so that we could have that gift of forgiveness, reconciliation with God, and eternal life. If you've never done that, if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you still have questions that you just need answers, don't leave here this morning without asking someone because this gift is available for you if you'd repent and believe. Talk to Pastor Brandon, talk to myself, talk to any member of this church. We would love to share with you about the hope we have certainty to have in Jesus Christ. Because 
in this, in this psalm. The psalmist is saying, we don't just get to look up, we also get to look back. And we get to thank God because of what he has done. It's not just the creator, but the redeemer and provider whose steadfast love endures forever. No matter what your thanksgiving was like, no matter what trials that you are going through, no matter what pilgrimage that you're going through, and if you're feeling like you're in exile with your sorrow and suffering, your circumstances don't define your hope or your thankfulness. Look back to the physical reminders of God's love and his creation and your salvation. Look to creation and look to the cross. But we don't just look up and we don't just look back. The psalmist ends by having us look forward. Look at verses 23 through 25. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. There might be some who are listening this morning and you're thinking, we've looked back and we've talked about creation and we talked about the history of Israel, but what about the problems in my life right now? I get that God is there and I trust God, but what do I do about the problems I face when I walk out these doors this morning? My friends, don't you see that the psalmist doesn't just leave us looking at history? But after looking up and looking back, he's looking forward at how God is still at work in our lives today. Do you notice there's a new pronoun? Ooh, grammar. I know, grammar helps us though. Helps us what's going on in the text. Do you notice a new pronoun here in verse 23? Before it was about creation or about Israel, but here he's talking about who? Verse 23, who remembered us. You see that pronoun, that us. He's brought us, he's brought you, and you, and you, and you, and me into the psalm right now. The psalmist is saying the same God who proved his goodness in creation and salvation then is the same God who is working in our lives now. God has turned the historic, the psalmist is turning the historical into the theological, and the theological now into the personal. The psalmist may not know the situation that you're in. He may not know all the details of what you're going through, but he says he knows what it's like to be brought low. He knows there are times in your life when you are brought so low, you've gone through the floor and you're still going and you just, you, you just never been that low. That's what he says. It's about being, he, this picture of being in low estate. It's being so overwhelmed by pressures at work that you're thinking about tomorrow or pressures at home and all your responsibilities. You just don't know how many more days you can keep it up. It's struggling with temptation and sin in such a way that you, no one maybe knows except you and you're starting to doubt your faith. You're starting to doubt your salvation. It's those problems that seem irreconcilable with your spouse, your husband or your wife or your children or your adult children. You've tried everything and it just keeps getting worse. It's problems with your health. Maybe you don't even know all the answers. Maybe the doctors don't know, know all the answers for you. Or it's heading into the rest of this holiday season. It was hard enough seeing that empty chair at Thanksgiving. And you know it's waiting there for Christmas as well. It's in those times of being in lowest state that we could be tempted to think thoughts like, has God forgotten me? How can I feel thankful when I feel that low? And the psalmist comes alongside you in that low place, and he says, no, brother or sister, he has not forgotten you. It is he who remembers us 
in our lowest state. Why? How do I know for sure that he knows and he remembers me in my lowest state? Because his steadfast love endures forever. He remembers you. He rescues you. He provides for you. How do you know? Because his steadfast love endures forever. And then the psalmist talks about food. Right? What a perfect Thanksgiving psalm. He talks about food. Why is he talking about food? Well, think about it. How do you know? What's evidence? What's little bits of evidence that God has remembered you even in your lowest state? Did you eat this morning? Do you have means to have food for lunch today? Do you deserve that? As one who has rebelled against, in our sin, who has rebelled against the God of the universe, we don't deserve that. We deserve hell, not in and out. Right? That, that's what we deserve for our sin. How many small things do we just take for granted that even in our lowest state that he gives us in, in his grace? Do you deserve to get up this morning? Do we deserve to live in a free country? We have the freedom to worship as we are this morning. Did I deserve the cute smiles and love that I got from my boys this morning? My friends, anything you've experienced today that's not hell is the grace of God. Each of these are daily reminders of God's grace. Personal reminders that he has not forgotten you in your low estate. He rescues and provides for you until that final rescue that's coming when he takes us home to experience the great inheritance of eternal life with this loving God forever. The psalm would say, not just look up, not just look back, but look forward because he continues, God continues to demonstrate that his steadfast love endures forever. Not just then, not just today, but ongoing to eternity. And how should we respond to such a glorious and loving God? The psalmist ends by saying, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. There was a night in February, early in the history of the church, around 358 AD, where according to some, the early church father Athanasius held an all-night service at his church in Alexandria, Egypt. He'd been leading the battle to defend the deity of Christ, and he had lots of enemies, both political enemies and, um, and, and enemies that are theological enemies of his. And that night, the church, because of his enemies, were surrounded by soldiers. And as the church gathered, the church was frightened. And reportedly, with a calm voice, when the church was surrounded, Athanasius cried out to the church that they were going to sing Psalm 136 the psalm that we studied this morning. And the congregation responded and thundered forth with their voices. His steadfast love endures forever. In the middle of not knowing what the next moments would hold, they remembered that his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, it's reported that when the soldiers broke through the doors of the church, they were staggered by the sound of the singing. And Athanasius kept his place until the congregation dispersed and then disappeared into the night to find refuge with friends. And reportedly, many were killed that night. But the members of Athanasius' church never forgot the lesson that although life in this fallen world can be evil and it can be hard and there are sorrows, none of that changes that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever.
So no matter what your Thanksgiving was like, no matter what the rest of today is like and tomorrow and the coming days, remember who your God is. Look up, look back, and look forward to a God whose steadfast love endures forever. And when we see that, we really have no other response but to respond with thanksgiving and praise and worship. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the reminders that you know we need. That, Father, you know the world that we live in. You know the situations. Father, I thank you that you know the circumstances of each and every person who walked the doors this morning. And, Father, thank you that you've reminded us that in the middle of all of this, of who you are, that you are a God, that your steadfast love endures forever. You've revealed that of who you are. You've shown us that in your creation. You remind us and show us that in the cross and you remind us that each and every day. Father, I pray that you would help us not be callous to those truths, but Lord, let us rejoice in who you are, Lord in the midst of whatever we have. And then from that, that others would see that light, that hope that we have and look for the reason that we can give them, that we have a God whose steadfast love endures forever. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.